Hello and welcome to the Fintech Australia podcast presented by Tier 1 People, leaders in fintech executive search. I'm Dexter Cousins and in today's show, we're joined by Scott Eddington, APAC Managing Director of World Remit. But before we talk to Scott, a shout out to our awesome partners, Fintech Australia. They're a member-driven organization building an ecosystem of Australian fintechs advancing the global economy. We share their mission to build a strong community, foster connections, and support innovation. If you're not a member yet, go to fintechaustralia.org.au. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks, Dexter. Great to be here and uh, in person, no less. Yeah, look, it's, um, it's nice to be back in the studio, actually, rather than doing these things remotely. I mean, it's a lot easier just to have a conversation with people when you're actually looking them in the eyes Absolutely. rather than uh, <laughs> yeah. on Zoom or, uh, you know, over over the uh, the internet. Um, thanks for joining us. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about World Remit and what you do? Yeah, sure. So we're all about creating opportunity for economic migrants. And we do that by operating one of the world's leading digital payment platforms, which enables customers to send from 50 countries to over 150 countries. And on the pay inside, we're fully digital. And on the pay outside, we offer a variety of options. So payments directly into bank accounts, transfers directly into mobile wallets, uh, and in certain countries, uh, cash pickup through uh, a series of partner locations as well. And we are, we've served over 6 million customers and we operate on 6,500 what we call corridors, so A to B permutations. Mm, great. So how did World Remit get started? So it was founded um, in 2010 uh, back in the UK um, by Ishmael Ahmed, who is an economic migrant himself. And he set about solving the very real problems that he faced in sending money home from the UK as a student uh, to Somaliland back in the 80s. Uh, and so founded the business uh, in 2010 as a, you know, as a digital alternative. And when did World Remit move out to Australia? So we've been um, operating at scale in Australia since, uh, since 2012. Great. Um, so I guess you, you taught there about um, you know, the the movement of money internationally. Obviously, the world stopped moving um, internationally. Yeah. Um, what trends have you seen you know, on the money side and and payment side, particularly as we've you know the world's kind of stood still and people haven't been moving as much? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I probably split it into the operational and the macro. So. You know, on the operational side, you know, the very direct impact for us was um, in countries in which we offer uh, cash pickup. You know, very practically, customers weren't able to uh, make it to those locations to get cash, and and you know, in many cases, obviously, the staff members couldn't make it to those locations to open them as well. Um, and I guess it was against that backdrop that we became probably even more aware than usual of the very human element of these payments. You know, mm. these are these are payments that are funding basic necessities, living expenses, education, medical bills. Um, and so we were really focused on trying to get, you know, to, to get cash into the um, hands of those recipients, which meant you know, information flow became really crucial from mm. staff members on the ground and partners on the ground, getting that back to the senders uh, and also making sure that we opened up those uh, services as quickly as we could to get funds flowing. So you've talked there, Scott, about the operational side. What about the other aspects of the business? Yeah, I think um, at a sort of macro level, we saw that um, that transition to to digital. So very practically, it was, as I mentioned, customers being unable to walk into bricks and mortar locations, so mm. transitioning to digital options. And then uh, globally, I suppose that um, halo effect of um, engaging with sort of non cash options in other parts of your life mm. uh, and the impact on digital providers. So. 
uh, caught up with um, Christian from Maneuver a couple of weeks ago. And um, as we went to pay, I sort of remarked to him, you know, look, I've been a diehard wallet carrier since, you know, since the early days, back mm. when the wallet was like bright yellow neon canvas and some Velcro, yep. um, which for the avoidance of doubt was a couple of years ago. <laughs> Um, and, you know, really post lockdown, actually been sort of leaving the wallet at home and, uh, carrying the phone around. So you were seeing that behavior change, obviously operating it, uh, you know, across the economy. And I think we've been beneficiaries of that. So you know, back at the start of lockdown, the world bank was predicting that remittances would decline 20% through right. the year, which would be the single biggest decline in, on record. Yeah. Um, and certainly we haven't seen that, you know, that I think digital businesses like ours have actually been sort of beneficiaries mm. of this. Um, so that's kind of COVID at, at a big level. And if you drill down to Australia specifically, I think story is probably one of, of resilience. Um, yeah, I think like all sectors of the economy, the pain unfortunately hasn't been evenly distributed and we've yeah. been really conscious of what some of the impacts might be on our, um, you know, on our customer base. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the economist Andrew Charlton said recently in the media, for 50% of Australians have probably never actually had more disposable income in their pockets than they do right now. Yeah. And so if you're our archetypal customer, you know, Filipino nurse, for example, you know, hopefully you haven't had your hours cut and you've been able to continue to make those those payments back home. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot in the news recently about, um, you know, the kind of the superannuation drawdowns that people were making. You had some interesting observations and stats on that as well from your side. Yeah, um, we've seen a couple of instances or, you know, a couple of instances of customers, um, you know, accessing their superannuation and, and sending that money home. Um, you know, I guess that's their, you know, that's their sort of money and we know that those those flows are, you know, funding basic living expenses and medical and education yeah. expenses. So, yeah, I think that's a it's a really compassionate, um, you know, use of funds. Mm. Um. So in terms of, I guess, the, you know, APAC as a, as a whole, so that's your remit within your role. What, what have you seen have been some of the opportunities coming out of the, the region since COVID hit? Yeah, well, I think, um, I think we're trying to keep our, our big focus on financial inclusion and some of the growth opportunities that that provides for us. And I think there's really sort of three elements to that. So the first thing is making sure that our network reflects the local context on the ground. So in the Philippines, for example, where two-thirds of the population is unbanked, yeah. um, we operate a network of 25,000 cash locations across the 7,500 islands in the country. So that's about making sure that you don't need to have a bank account in order to, you know, to receive these funds from overseas. So um, we want to make sure that we've got that reflecting that local context. Uh, and the second, and I suppose, related point is um, building out our mobile money connections. So we do have the largest con- set of connections into mobile money wallets globally. Yeah. So practically speaking, you can pay into an Alipay wallet in China. You can pay to Vodafone and Pesa in Fiji. You can pick from the four leading wallets in Ghana. Um, and we know, you know, that's a driver of financial inclusion for myriad reasons. Um, primarily that it's first for, for, for most people, that's their first foray into financial services in some of yeah. these economies. Um, and yeah, interestingly, last year for the first time, we saw that the value of digital in and digital out payments exceeded cash for the first time. So that means you've got this you know, really nice flow of funds within that ecosystem. Mm. Uh, and I guess speaking practically, um, you know, if you're a, a wallet holder in Ghana, you can get an inward payment from World Remit on the digital side. You can take that and almost instantly you know, pay f- 
make a POS payment to buy a drink as well, which yeah. is digital, rather than you know, having to kind of cash in through an agent, cash out, and then go and make that purchase. So that's some, um, I think, a sign of the growth of the ecosystem. Uh, and then, you know, there's some really nice gender equality benefits as well. So there's emerging evidence that um, access to mobile money services has better gender equality than some of the traditional financial products oh, really? as well. So that's a really, um, so that's a really cool angle. And I guess lastly, on the financial inclusion point, there's there's a cost element as well. Mm. So, you know, here in Australia, we're the fourth most expensive country in the G20 to make those international payments, higher than the global average and the OECD average. Yeah. Uh, and so, to the extent that we can drive that down with very low fees and, and competitive exchange rates, we're providing flexibility both on the send side and the receive side. So you think, you know, very practically speaking, you don't have to say, hey, sorry, I can only send you money once a month because I don't want to get hit with the fees and the, yeah. the exchange rate. Um, you can now say, I can send money more frequently, smaller amounts. Yeah. And the downstream impacts for that for the recipient means they've got much more flexibility in how they manage their finances and respond mm. to financial shocks, which is uh, very cool. So we're you know, we're proud to play a part in that, right? Um, we, we've done and been involved in a number of financial inclusion projects. And one of the things that we consistently hear from people who've been involved in them over the last decade or so is um, technology is kind of really isn't the challenge. The challenge is the education piece of people on the ground and their, their kind of, I guess, um, you know, uh, use of cash and, and how they, they use it. Have you seen that COVID has, has kind of had an impact on that? Um, versus going out and educating people that just the necessity now has, <laughs> yeah. has forced people to change their their behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, I think what becomes important as well is that we we try and respond to those changes as well. So um, yeah, in the Philippines, for example, where I mentioned that very broad cash pickup network, um, we were able quite quickly in the heart of COVID to bring on the three leading mobile wallets in the Philippines into the network as well. So we reprioritized the roadmap to bring on Gcash, Paymire, and Coins.ph yeah. um, to cover the 40 million wallet holders there. So, and because we could see demand for that, we could mm. see growth for that. So, yeah, absolutely, it's um, it's it's having a change. Uh, and then, like I said, we're to try and respond to that in yeah. terms of how we offer our services. Yeah. One of the things that's always struck me, um, speaking with fintech startups here in Oz, is when they talk about growth, they always think of UK or US. You know, we've got Southeast Asia on a doorstep, and the market and the opportunity is huge what do you see as being the you know the the size of that opportunity and what advice would you have for any aussie fintechs who are looking at the region yeah i mean you, you, you're right I and mean, some of the scale is is pretty extraordinary so um as i mentioned we brought on alipay back in january we were one of the first global launch partners to to offer that service which you know practically speaking means you can pay from your australian bank account into the alipay wallet in china uh, and then by bringing them on, that brought 900 million wallet holders into the world remit ecosystem. So absolutely, that that scale is um, is pretty extraordinary. Um, I guess you know two two pieces of advice for for viewing the region. And the first is um, acknowledging that uh, there's a, you know there's a lot of differences. So yes, Australia and New Zealand are very similar, but the needs in Singapore are very different from India, which is different to China and and Bangladesh again. So. I think making sure that you have a, an understanding of the customer and their needs within each of those countries. And the way that we achieve that is by having you know, people on the ground in many of our core markets you know, working remotely, whose job it is to get close to customers and partners and regulators to understand that and to feed that back into the product. Um, so that's the, that's the first component. And then once you've identified that customer need, making sure that you're working 
with the right partners on the ground as well. Mm. And acknowledging that the partners that you have today might not be the right partners for you tomorrow as you scale. And so it's about constantly optimizing those partners mm. and, and the network as well. So I mentioned that the Philippine Wallace example and is an example of you know how you need to respond to those yeah. needs and uh, and change your partners. Great. Well, I'm going to give you a quick break, Scott, whilst I plug my business. Getting from one to 100 people is the biggest challenge facing any founder. And hiring the right executive talent is a real pain point, especially when the demands of the business change on a daily basis. Many startups hire executives, pay big salaries, and find after a month there just isn't the work to justify the salary. That's why we help founders bring in executives on demand. Tier 1 People carefully selects executives based on their proven capability to deliver in startups. You can engage for a week, a month, or a project. You get access to the right expertise at the right time, delivering your growth plans at a fraction of the cost. To find out more, contact Dexter at tier1people.com. Well, Scott, welcome back. I want to have a chat with you now um, a little bit about your background. One of the, I, I guess, you know, trends that we've noticed is when it comes to startups or, or businesses that are scaling, they've got a real aversion to hiring people from the big four banks here in Australia. And there's this bias that because you come from a big bank, you can't operate in a startup. Um, and so I was keen to get your thoughts because you've come from CBA and joined a scale-up and world remit really to understand how you found that experience and, and kind of what your perception is of the, the differences between the two types of environments. Yeah, well, it's a, a lot in that question. Well, um, oh, mate, I've, I've loaded it specifically. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, look. Um, Let, let's talk first of all maybe about your background. Yeah, sure. Well, I think in an earlier episode you used that gig terminology uh, and that's certainly been the case in my career. I've had a, a bunch of different gigs. Uh, so I started life as an M&A lawyer in London and did stints in Singapore and Tokyo. Uh, and then I moved into management consulting. And then I joined a VC-backed peer-to-peer marketplace in the UK. Uh, and then when I moved back to Sydney five years ago, I joined Combank, um, initially in the partnerships and fintech team, mm. which then sort of morphed into X15 Ventures yeah. led by Toby Norton-Smith. Uh, and then subsequently leading the digital strategy team responsible for the app and online banking, which are you know, two of the the two highest um, traffic financial assets in the country. Yeah. I mean, world leading, right? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um, and then I guess you know, as as most people do who join a fintech, I was just keen to get closer to the customer and to have more of a direct impact. And um, you know, working in a fintech uh, offered that. And then, uh, and this is the bit that I'm sure people, some people, will raise their eyebrows at. Uh, I also wanted to be able to keep the focus on financial well-being that was front and centre at, mm. at CBA. I know you had um, Brett King on recently. Yeah, um, One of my first bosses at CBA was a gentleman called Mo Khalil who's, uh, who was head of product at Move-In, uh, and you can see his influence in terms of how he's applied some of those concepts um, into, the, uh, the, into the CBA environment mm. and uh, you know, in the Combank app as it exists today. So um, I was keen to and to maintain that focus on financial well-being and social purpose and, um, you know, World Remit offered me yeah. that as well. Yeah. I've heard a number of people, and look, you don't have to answer this question because I'm probably putting you on the spot a bit here, but I have heard a number of people say that, hey, there are so many good intentioned and well-intentioned people working in the big four banks, but ultimately when it comes down to it, the way that they're structured, 
and how you've got all these separate businesses, it makes it really difficult for you to actually really truly focus on the customer. Um, what what have you found kind of moving into world remit? You know, is that that giving you now that kind of total focus on the customer without the kind of bureaucracy that tends to come with working with a huge, you know, kind of, uh, you know, a corporate business? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's always going to be more challenging working in a company of 50,000 people than it yeah. is in working in, you know, one of a thousand people or one of 12 people. Um, and so, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's, that's one of the aspects that I try and drive home in the culture of the team that I'm trying to build out here in APAC. Mm. I really want um, my team to, to focus on the customer and get their hands dirty in the customer experience and, you know, find the, find the weak points and try and, you know, optimize that. And, um, it's a pet peeve of mine when you, you interview someone and you say, have you used the product? You know, and they sort of shift uncomfortably in the chair and um and ah and make excuses. And, um, I'm yeah. just not quite sure how you can, um, you know, want to join a company on that, on that basis. Yeah. So it's really important for me that I'm, um, that the team is, is, you know, is, is, close to the customer and has that real yeah. customer empathy. So that's something we try and drive in the culture. What are, you, uh, what are the plans that you've got for the region around growth and, and further scaling? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I really think about three things. So new markets, new partners, new partners and new services. Um, so on new markets, uh, we've spent the last 10 years building out this network. So it's actually, you know, it's very broad. Um, we offer services into 150 countries, as I said. So, um, we're, we're at scale, but I think there's some opportunities to serve the customer in a very targeted way. And that means mm. bringing on new send countries and also yeah. um, new received destinations. So we just launched our services into Somalia in July of this year. So, so new markets, but in a very surgical way. Mm. Uh, and then the second is new partners um, with a real emphasis on mobile money partners. So I talked about Alipay. I talked about the um, Philippine mobile wallets. Um, but just last month, we also launched Easy Paiser in Pakistan. So that mm. brings um, the total coverage in Pakistan to 40 million wallet holders. So I think there's some real um, opportunities to continue to bring on um, mobile money partners in, in select geographies. And then we're also working with some of the neo banks and digital banks globally to educate their customers about international payments yeah. and some of the ways that they can shift to digital. So that's Chime and Varo in the US and yeah. then in Mexico, players like Albo and Kla. Uh, and then, so that's new partners. And then lastly, new services. So we are looking for adjacent services that we can offer to customers. Um, and one of the cool things that we launched earlier in the year was international bill payments. So from here in Australia, you can pay a bill in India. You know, very practically, if your mother has a utility bill in Delhi, you just ask her for the bill reference number and mm. we pull the balance in real time through API and then you can pay that in Aussie dollars um, you know, using our app. And that saves her a trip to the post office to pay that you know, in cash over the counter. And so that was cool and important pre-COVID. And then I guess post-COVID seems a, a, you know, even greater importance. Mm, mm. Um, and why should people be interested in joining World Remit? What's, what, what do you think is the big attraction? I think if you want to join a fast-growing, well-funded startup with a multi-year track record and you want to do that with a sense of social purpose... I don't think there's actually many better options. Mm. And that last point is probably one that we haven't focused on enough. Um, yeah, these, these payments, right, which total 700 billion US dollars a year around the globe, you know, it's hugely important to some of these local economies. Yeah. So in Nepal, for example, remittances are 30% of GDP. Right here in our backyard in Tonga, 
it's 40% of GDP. Yeah. So 40% of GDP is these um, inward remittances. So um, these are must-haves for the national accounts. These are not nice-to-haves, these payments. And then in some of those markets, we're privileged to have quite a significant share of that market as well. And so we we are not just operating a sexy fintech app. Yeah. You know, we're actually operating a piece of infrastructure, which is crucial yeah. for some of these economies. So that's a, a responsibility yeah. that we feel very keenly. And th- there's a lot of talk as well about, you know, the banking unbanked and financial inclusion. It's been really interesting. You know, my, my own perceptions of it have changed, right? So having worked with these projects, I always thought it was just enabling people yeah. And and the countries that you've talked about to get cash in their hands, but seeing how the the markets have responded um, globally, and where we've seen apps like Robinhood have a you know big impact on that, um, it, it feels as if fintech you know is, is has really you know it's it's more than just providing products and services to those who've never had them before in underdeveloped countries. Also got here in Australia, the US, the UK as well, where now all of a sudden everybody has access to the same opportunities that you know previously was only were only open to a small percentage of the population we're seeing that change as well with things like um you know equity crowdfunding now where you know mum and dad investors can go and invest in an early stage um business what do you what do you see as i guess you know the kind of where we're at in the cycle do you think we're just at the beginning of it or do you think we're kind of well advanced in you know, how fintech is really, you know, truly disrupting and changing um, global economies. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, in, in our business, um, there's still a sort of a, a long way to run. And one of the things that was really surprising to me, and in fact, one of the reasons that I joined the business was that um, 80% of those remittances that I mentioned are still paid in in cash mm-hmm. around the world. And it's really central to our thesis that's, yeah. that's going to shift to digital. Uh, and, and we provide that mechanism to do that from, you know, from our app and for our website. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, it's, a, it's, it's education kind of on the, on the one hand, uh, and then it's, and it's behavior change. Um, and I still think there's a, lo- there's, a, there's a long way to run. You know, I'd expect the same trends to, that have played out in, in retail banking to, to play out in international payments mm. as well. So there's still a lot of scope for growth there. So um, other than World Remit, which other fintechs got you excited right now? Yeah, I think if we keep that um, financial inclusion and financial well-being focus, um, here in Australia, so players like PayActive who are you know, focused on that notion of earned but unpaid wages, I yeah. think are really interesting. Um, and I think start from a very innovative conception of what it means to, mm. you know, to earn a salary and to, to be an employee. Um, and, and I just think that that concept has a long way to run because it hasn't really entered the, yeah. the vernacular yet. So um, those guys here in Australia. And then globally, you know, I'd probably go back to the mobile wallets as, as well. Um, so how they're, you know, how they're driving financial inclusion and then how they're broadening out of payments into other financial services. So if you look at um, Gcash in the Philippines, which is the number one wallet over there, they've got a partnership with CIMB Bank to create a so-called G-Save product, which is a savings product that can be accessed from within the wallet. Mm. Um, and the cool thing about it is they they didn't say, okay, look, this is your first ever access to a savings product, so we're going to sting you on the rate for the privilege. Um, it's actually the sort of best rate in the market by a couple of percent better than traditional right. um, products. So I think the way that that is um, opening up further financial services for, for people who have traditionally been you know, excluded or unbanked, I think mm. is really interesting as well. 
And given the view that you've got, you know, you're seeing a lot in, in other countries, what's your take on fintech here in Australia? I think at a macro level, I think it's healthy. And when, when we look around the region and look around the world, um, you know, I'm always sort of struck by the high engagement that we have here with digital financial services. But then there's, of course, is the question of the role of the banks in this local market and um, I suppose the loyalty and inertia that, that customers feel towards those banks. And um, I think in some cases, you know, that that inertia is probably not uh, entirely irrational. You know, we, As we mentioned, we've got some of the leading digital retail mm. banking assets in the world here. And so what's the step change experience that a um, neobank can offer to, you know, to get someone yeah. to shift? And that's a, that's a tough question. But then there are other cases where that, that loyalty and inertia is uh, so definitely irrational where the segments that have been you know, grossly underserved by the major banks. So if you take you know, SME banking, for example, yeah. then you have a, a very motivated customer base who are looking for something better and you've got innovative services yeah. and that's, that's when it starts to yeah. hum. Yeah, and I guess we, you know we've seen with the buy now pay later just that little shift in <laughs> an idea, and it's just you know, it's I mean it's decimated the credit card businesses of the banks. It's incredible, really. Yeah, absolutely. A little shift in a a little shift in idea coupled with a kind of a long-standing and gradual change in the underlying behaviors of customers away yeah. from you know credit towards towards debit card. So um, you know, the innovation was new, but the underlying current was um, yeah. was there to be seen. Yeah. And I, I guess before we wrap up, any exciting news that you've got to share? Or Yeah, I mean, we're, we're excited about bringing on some of those uh, mobile wallet partners that I mentioned, and we'll be doing that over the next couple of months. Um, but recently we launched our um, uh, transfer tracker app on the receive side. Um, so that enables recipients in some of our major markets to actually sort of see where their money is in real time and to get details of location, cash pickup oh, locations, great. et cetera. And I know that sounds kind of basic, but it's... Um, when, it's when, uh, when I'm expecting uh, <laughs> invoices from overseas, it's fantastic. It's, um, yeah, we really, you know, kind of really focused on, on adding more, um, I guess, more emphasis and, um, and services for, for those receivers as well. So mm. that's very cool. And then we'll look forward to rolling that out to dozens of other countries over the, the next 12 months. Great. Well, Scott, it's been great to get, have you on the show. Uh, where can people find out more about World Remit? So you can find that at worldremit.com or apps available to download for iOS and Android. Great. And you can find me at Dexter Cousins on LinkedIn and at Dexter Cousins on Twitter. Thanks for listening. If you like today's show, please subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It really helps me bring on great guests like Scott. This show is produced by Tier 1 People. We're the leaders in fintech executive search and we'll help you launch, scale and innovate by delivering the right people at the right time. You can reach us at info at tier1people.com. Until the next episode, stay safe 